Welcome to Motherhood Exposed. Join me, Zoe Cresswell, mum of two and a UK-trained midwife and doula, as I meet with an array of amazing women navigating life and motherhood. Since becoming a mum for the second time, after my own complex journey, I've become more and more aware that motherhood is so unique. There's no one story the same, and women need support now more than ever. I hope by allowing mothers to openly speak out, we can help to break the silence around many topics. We need to shout out that there is no normal, and that is something we need to embrace. Motherhood isn't always picture perfect, so let's bust some myths, realign expectations, and share the journey together. Hello. Today, I speak to Tia from the Instagram account, The Brown's Journey to Four. Tia talks to me about their journey to becoming a family, including her diagnosis of premature ovarian insufficiency, failed IVF attempts, and the subsequent effect this has had on her emotional and mental health, before finally becoming pregnant with twins through donor egg conception earlier this year. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi Tia, how are you? Hi, I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Very good, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really, really appreciate um, you. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. So at the start of the podcast here, um, I always ask my guests the same question, which is how they met their husband or their partner. And obviously for you, it's the lovely Lee. So we actually met on Tinder. Did you? Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I know obviously there's like horror stories and things around Tinder, but we are a Tinder success story. So yeah, we did meet on, um, on Tinder. Amazing. I always um, sort of say that my husband and I kind of met on social media as well because, or dating apps, because our friends, we met at their wedding and they met on a dating app. So, oh, um, okay. That way we kind of did. Yeah. If, if they didn't meet on the dating app, then you wouldn't have exactly. yeah. obviously um, met each other. And I think in this day and age, it's more normal. Like quite a few of my friends have met their partners on dating apps and stuff. And so I'm in a very female based industry. So, I don't ever work with men like yeah. on a day-to-day um, basis. So, so yeah, that's how we met. And how was it? Was it? Did you know straight away? Or um... yeah, <laughs> it was a bit of a whirlwind love story. Um, so I'd probably yeah. So it was very quick that we and as soon as I had, I didn't really like being on there. There's too many weirdos for my like. You know, people sending strange messages anyway. Um, so once we'd met, I gave him my number. I think he said I was coming off and there was a few other people I was talking to as well. Yeah. Um, and then we, um, obviously, yeah, so we spent a lot of time talking on the phone before we actually met. And I was very apprehensive about meeting someone online without like knowing them. Yeah, um, so yeah, we sp- spent a lot of time speaking on the, the phone, texting, and we just really hit off. And like we used to spend like hours on the phone um, at night and um, things like that. And yeah, and then we had our first date um, where we went to the cinema, I think, and drinks. Um, and Lee Blessing was really, really nervous, yeah. um, very nervous. And yeah, from then we were just like inseparable, really. Um, and everything did go very, very quick. So we met in the February, then in the... July it may have been the cogs we actually meet pardon I can see the cogs turning there you're trying to work that yeah out. yeah no I was trying to trying to think but yeah in I think it was the July of the same year we actually moved in with my parents oh wow um so we um 
yeah, obviously lived together, moved in very quickly. Um, and we still together. Yeah. yeah, and then 18 months after we met, we got engaged. Um, and we bought our um, house together. Um, and then I think it was 18 months after that, we got married. Um, so it was a very whirlwind um, story. Everything was quite... But we were obviously slightly older when we met like obviously we weren't very obviously weren't old but we weren't we weren't obviously spring chicken yeah um so we we're older but obviously we we'd been in past relationships and things like that so I think we knew what we wanted what we didn't want and yeah we just hit it off quite quick and um everything else is history I suppose amazing and did you um was um the idea of starting a family on the card straight away after you got married yeah yeah so we we discussed it always in the beginning we both wanted um to start a family um and we knew once we were married we would start trying um straight away and um obviously we did um so we got married in april 2018 um and that's when we started trying to um conceive we were oblivious that there'd be any problems at all um and Lee was convinced we'd conceive straight away. And yeah. I did say to him, it's not that easy. Like, he thought it would be like the first time, that's it, it would happen. And, and um, like I did say to him, it's not that easy. And I think it got to about 18 months. And um, we've been doing all the home ovulation kits, timing as you do, all the things that you read online, it tells you to do all these weird and wonderful things. Um, and nothing. Pardon. All the things that take the fun out. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, it just makes it a chore, doesn't it? Um, and um, so yeah, so we got to that point. I think it's probably about eighteen months. And um, because we were told that you couldn't get any help until two years, um, and we were both driving ourselves mad by it. Obviously, eighteen months is a long time. I don't know why they make wait till two years like 18 months a hell of a long time so even after a year we'd um I think it's because we'd heard a lot of people who we know personally that like oh it took us about a year so we thought it was just normal for like that because and obviously I had been on contraception for a long time um I've been on it since I was 16 and I was 29 by then so I've been on it like on and off in that time but majority of the time I was on, so I've been on it for a long time so I thought Maybe that's just taken a long time to come out of my system. Um, so tried not to overthink it. Um, but then we did go to our GP at 18 months and they said they couldn't refer us until two years, but they would do some they would do some little tests. So they did um a sperm analysis for Lane, um, referred him for that. Um, and I was actually convinced it was probably something with Lee because I as far as I knew I had no health problems nothing and Lee's um got like little things but he's got like rheumatoid arthritis and like different little things so I thought like can't be me like I'm healthy I think I've got no health problems as far as I know it can't be me um but it come back like well above average absolutely amazing so I was like oh wow like it's definitely obviously not him um and the doctors did offer to do some blood tests for me um, you know, certain times of your cycle to see what's going on to some extent. Um, so they did those for me as well. And it just come back both times. They're like no chance of conceiving or very low chance, something like that. 
Um, but no one called me to tell me. I just rang and the receptionist said it to me over the phone. I was like, okay, like, is the doctor going to call me? And she was like, no. So I was like, okay, so I'm being told that from these blood results is pretty much not going to happen, but no one's going to help me. And they were saying that you still had to wait for the two years. Really? Um, really? But I was like, but we know there's a problem. Um, so obviously I, there was nowhere I was waiting. So we paid for a private consultation and still there I was still still naive I thought well both of us were we thought we'll go in it'll be fine like it's probably nothing um but uh, obviously this appointment is when obviously I find out that I've got premature ovarian insufficiency um and it was from internal scan when obviously they were looking at the activity of my ovaries and there was very minimal activity for my age um that obviously they um told us and I think then like especially Lee I don't think he really took it in he didn't process it and we were both in separate cars um because we'd come from work yeah um and we were meant to be going to visit his mum after but there was no way we were so we went home but obviously that journey home was hard and I still don't think Lee really processed it because she said the um consultant said to us for a chance to conceive with my eggs we need to go ASAP um even though the chance is low we, we haven't got time to digest it, basically. I think it was in the November. We actually started a couple of weeks after. So it was the end of November, I think, and we started the beginning of December. She was and like, stay just... for the starting IVF? Or... Yes, yeah, sorry. That's yeah, so starting IVF that we had to go. Um, I didn't have a clue what IVF was. Um, we didn't really have time to research it or get our heads around it. We just knew that was our only option. So we had to get on with it. And I think Lee probably found it harder to process than me. I'm the type of person that's like, right, I know what I've got to do. we just got to do it and then I'll deal with the emotions after. Whereas Lee takes a lot longer to process um, everything. Um, so, yeah, so we started literally um, straight away. And I remember they took my AMH levels as well at that same appointment and then called me the next day. And Lee was at work, but I was off and my mum come round to be with me so I was in a bit of a state from the news the day before and I remember the doctor calling me and just saying like it's very low um and so yeah. obviously if you want to try with your own eggs we need to um go ASAP oh, so um yeah. like I said we did um so yeah we had our first round in December 2019 um, which ended in January 2020. And um, obviously it was unsuccessful. Um, so we did manage to collect some of eggs. Um, the eggs did fertilise it collected, um, but they all arrested at day three. Um, so we didn't have any embryos to transfer. Um, and we actually, after that, like, it, that was really hard to process because I think in my head, I was obviously very naive, but I thought, okay, we won't get pregnant from the first round, but we'll have embryos in the freezer. But no one ever discussed with us that there was a chance that they wouldn't make it to day five, for blastocyst stage, like anything. So I was totally oblivious. Um, so I did struggle a lot, quite a lot then mentally because I had a bit of like a withdrawal from all the, the hormones and things because it was going from obviously high level of hormones and because of obviously 
my condition, my body doesn't produce hormones. So instead of dropping to like your normal level of hormones, it went right down. Um, so I was quite um, ill um, mentally um, after that round. It also just um, but, an awful lot of information to process and yeah, so much and such like mentally and physically in such a short period of time. A short space of time, yeah. It was literally three months um, from being diagnosed to obviously having that outcome um and we did go another two times um with my assets wasn't ready to um stop um or uh, accept defeat I suppose um so we had never round at the same clinic exactly the same outcome again um so we had two eggs again both fertilized but didn't meet arrested on day three or before um and then the third round we actually went to um we live in bristol but we went to a clinic in london um to give it a go there and um and as you do so you just want to yeah you'll try anything try all options and and i'd already been told by this point that um we should consider um egg donor conception or obviously adoption or um living a childless life not by choice and um I just wasn't ready to even look at those options I thought no I want to go and we did go into this this third round like okay this will be the last round um but we did convince ourselves it was going to work we're like no it must be at this time third time lucky gone like it's a new clinic a different protocol um I was on steroids um in the run-up to actually starting the IVF to try and help with um obviously the follicles um but this was actually our worst round yet my ovaries just completely said no thank you um and completely shut down um so we didn't even get to um obviously egg collection um and this was when I was told that the option is now if you still want to go through treatment it would be with um donor eggs so that was in October 2020 um, so the three rounds were all in one year. That was quick as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they're all very close together. Um, and then... Can I just stop? Yeah. Emotionally and mentally, where were you at this point? Because you've gone less than a year and been told you've got, um, you know, all of this is going on and then you've done three rounds of very quick IVF. Um, I did struggle a lot mentally. I have been um under mental health team at the hospital yeah. i had ended up in um any a few times due to episodes um so i had struggled a lot and this um, to try and prove new to you um these these, these episodes yeah 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 triggered by yeah the, fir- the first time i thought i was going crazy like i thought this was it like i've, I've shot away sort of thing um but yeah, so it was, yeah, a lot I had. I didn't want to be here anymore. I just thought that I, I had some really like dark thoughts and um, yeah, some like suicidal thoughts and things like that. It was a really, really hard um, time and place. But the only thing that was keeping me going is was the possibility that we could get a good outcome with treatment. So that's why I just couldn't stop. Yeah, Like I couldn't give myself a break because that was the only thing that was giving me hope of for our future is going through that. And I, I think I beat myself up a lot about it because of obviously 
Lee, for example, if we weren't together, he wouldn't obviously be going through this. Obviously, I think I beat myself up a lot about it's because of me we're doing this. And we didn't have any NHS funding because of my condition. My AMH was too low. So what? So, so wow. Sorry. So because yeah, your AMH for um, funding in the UK, your AMH has to be over five. Oh, and obviously mine was way below five. Um, so we didn't get any funding. Um, so obviously on top of everything else, there's a lot of financial strain. Um, we, in total, including our final round of treatment, um, we did um, end up spending £40,000, which we are just your average couple. Like, we we got your average jobs. We're not, we are lucky. We did have, my parents did support us as well, but we're just, yeah, your normal average couple. Like, we don't have lying around or anything like that um so there's a lot so it wasn't just obviously and then obviously that puts mental strain on you as well because we weren't doing anything nice like we couldn't afford to go out for meals or like even like we wouldn't even buy ourselves I don't know a top if we saw a top we wanted because we thought well no that money can go towards yeah treatment sort of thing pressure it's a lot of stress yeah um, and obviously then we had COVID as well and I'm self-employed um, and my business got shut. Um, so obviously, and Lee lost his job because of COVID as well. So we were both, uh, luckily Lee did find a job um, really quickly. And within a, well, there was a few months he wasn't working, but within a few months. Um, and obviously then eventually I reopened. Um, but yes, yeah, so it was a lot. A lot going on. It was just a lot to process. And then obviously when we got to the next stage of looking into donor donor treatment, that was a whole new mm-hmm. lot of emotions. And it's still something now um that I struggle with and, and trying to get my head around and can you talk process. about um some of the emotions surrounding egg donation? Yeah. Um so the it was just obviously you never ever think that you're going to have a child that's not biologically related to you. So it's just, it's a weird concept, I suppose, probably not the right word, but a strange concept, different concepts yeah. to get your head around because it's not something, and I don't know anyone that's donor conceived like in my personal life or who's got children through donor conception. So it's not something I've ever been around or was really aware of, like, and I think a lot of people are aware of it as just the same-sex couples because obviously you know that same-sex couples can't conceive naturally together. They need to have, obviously, a donor to be able to conceive as a couple if that's the route they want to go down. Um, <laughs> so everyone, like even if you see it on TV, it's always about same-sex couples. Mm. No one ever thinks about even considers that and I probably was in that bracket as well I probably thought it was more for same-sex couples and I heard about obviously a sperm donor because of same-sex couples but I hadn't really heard about egg donor mm-hmm. <laughs> um and obviously it does happen for um male same-sex couples they obviously do use egg donors but it's not something that I've really yeah. heard of or known anyone to speak about absolutely um have you managed to connect um with with this because there's there's quite a movement now on on movement but there's a community sorry is a better word on social media and have you been able to connect with them yeah so I speak to a lot of people that are got children through donor perception pregnant 
or I have actually spoke to um, adults that I can see through donor conception as well, which has my mindset has completely changed. So we did obviously we have gone through egg donor treatment, um, and um, we were very blessed that our first round of egg donor treatment worked. Um, so I am twenty three weeks pregnant now with twins. Amazing. Um, so, um, so yeah, so we're very, very um, blessed um, with that. But my emotions have completely changed throughout the process. Um, so at the beginning, we just thought about us and how we'd feel um, like before we were um, pregnant. And because obviously it's but we'd been trying for three and a half years, we could never imagine having a baby. So. To think about anyone else in the equation was really difficult and all we can think of is us because that's all it's ever been um so it was all all about obviously us and there was just like loads of different emotions like i suppose jealousy was one of them as well like the thought of lee's sperm creating a baby with another lady's eggs um obviously made me feel jealous it's obviously it's not cheating but obviously it's just like oh like it's just yeah just a, a strange it's not something you ever think of and obviously would ideally want. Um, so, yeah, so there was just so much emotion. Like when our donor was going through treatment, I thought I didn't think of how I would feel. Um, but I really struggled when she was going through treatment. And I think it's because I was jealous of her because she was doing what I should be doing or what I wanted to be doing. Um, so I find that really um, difficult. And we were like really blessed Like she collected 14 eggs um I don't ever collected two so she like she did amazing and out of those 14 we had 10 top quality um bastards um so but then again it was like jealousy like god her and Lee can create a baby together but me and Lee can't I can't create a baby with my own husband so there's like so much like emotions around um yeah all, all of that and just trying to get my process obviously everything and the emotions and I think being on Instagram and having a platform on that is brilliant but sometimes it can be quite triggering and and that's what I found at the beginning um because for example a lot of um donor conceived people call the the donor a biological mum or biological dad which I could not get my head around to begin with. And if anyone said that to me, it was really triggering. Now I've got my head around it. I know that's what it is and that's fine. But I think to begin with, I find like all those things um, difficult. And and then obviously we went through treatment and it was kind of like a distraction because I didn't think about the actual, what we were actually doing as such because we had a frozen transfer. So the donors, um, obviously was obviously frozen um so we'd already flew out um a few months before to give the sperm sample to freeze um because we had um our donor around in greece and um so they already had um these sperm and everything so we obviously weren't anywhere near or involved in any of that process of things which again was quite difficult because i felt like i was being pushed out and yeah, so that was quite, and they're not allowed to update you on anything until she's had a collection. Oh, gosh. Um, so I didn't have a clue what was going on. I just felt, yeah, but it's just obviously their law and things that you can't until 
um, the eggs are yours basically until she donates them over. Um, but yeah, when we flew out again for actual treatment and transfer, there's obviously the donor at this point was obviously nowhere to be seen. She'd done a bit months ago. Um, it was all just about us, um, which was obviously a lot nicer. And yeah, we managed to relax a bit when we were out there and not think about it. And then when we first got our the positive and we were still out there then as well and obviously even though we were terrified it was still obviously all exciting we've never had a positive pregnancy test before so it was all obviously first for us um but then as the weeks went on I questioned everything about how I felt um so I was questioning myself that I felt like a surrogate. Obviously, I don't have a clue what a surrogate feels like because I've never been one. And I've never had a biological child either. So I don't know how I would feel if I was carrying a biological child of mine. But in my head, I'd convinced myself that I felt like what a surrogate would feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just like the emotions of... And then as the weeks went on, I started to focus more on um, the babies emotions and their order um and how they're going to feel rather than how we feel um so yeah so yeah i, I don't think the emotions or things go away but i think they evolve yeah absolutely. and change and have you have you has it been helpful talking to adults who, who have been conceived through donor for me originally i find it really really tri- triggering originally um and obviously everyone's got a different story, like with everything. Um, so obviously and everyone's been told at different stages of their life and they find out differently. Um, but I've definitely learned a lot from them um, of what the best way may be to approach it. Um, and as I, it goes on, I do find it easier talking to them. I was trolled a bit by some... Um, doing a conceived adults. Um, oh wow! Back when was that? That's been the beginning of the year, I think it was. Um, and I find that really hard. And but then obviously I know like some of them really struggling themselves. Like uh, some of them are like have just found out, and obviously it's really traumatic for them. And obviously they're very hurt and they're grieving. Um, but obviously I probably am not the the person to point that that but um but yeah so I find that really really difficult and then I'll say oh my god are we doing the right thing or are children gonna feel this way I've lost you okay um yeah so but now I spoke to a variety of different density people with different stories and it has definitely and I've learned a lot from them um and I think you sometimes like got to put yourself in a vulnerable no, that's a vulnerable situation to be able to learn and develop which in the beginning I find hard because I was and obviously we weren't pregnant at the time either so we didn't know if it was going to happen and when it would happen and so I wasn't ready at that stage but now I'm more ready to listen and be more open because this is going to be our reality um and for us personally we will be telling the babies from day one um how they're conceived um obviously when they're babies babies they're not going to understand but we want to tell them from day one 
so hopefully when they do understand it would be more of a normal thing to them um i'm not saying it's going to take away the trauma of grief when they do understand what it really means but hopefully we'll minimize it and it's never obviously a lie we've got like books and things like children's books um that we purchased to like read the story of how they were conceived and we're also going to make a sorry there you go sorry um no we're going to also make a book um ourselves um just like a scrapbook type thing that tells them about their us their like us and our journey to them um but also some, some information on their donor so something that's more personal to them that they'll know a bit about their heritage from the donors um side of things so yeah we're going to be as open and supportive as possible like i said I, obviously we haven't got a clue how they're gonna feel um but all we can do obviously is the best we can to support them and guide them and through how their emotions and obviously they, they may not feel a way at all about it and they may be absolutely accepting of it absolutely fine and no interest at all um as some donor conceived people i suppose who do feel that way or they may feel like another lot of donor conceived people who do want to know more and ask more questions and are, are more interested in it um but obviously we won't know until that time comes i do beat myself up about it sometimes because i sometimes like think oh my god so much preparation, so much thought has gone into it. Um, yeah. Which is, you know. Yeah, and, and sometimes you sit there and just think, oh, I just want the worries of a, nor a normal mum. Like, let's say normal, but some of them obviously, like, who have obviously got their um, children are biologically theirs, they don't have to worry about these things. That have you connected mm -hmm. with um, Becky um, from the Defining Mum? Yeah. Has that been yeah. Done? Yeah, no, she is. I mean, because obviously it's nice to see someone who's got children that are at a, Obviously, they're still young, but um, and how she's approached it and things like that. So, yeah, that's been really good. And can you um, just talk us through, like, because um, obviously the amazing news is that you are pregnant, um, but the yeah. process um, to to become pregnant and and choosing the donor and, and all of those things. Yeah, of course. So, um, we're our donors unknown. So it's an anonymous donor. Um, so it's in Greece. Um, and that's the law um, over there. So in your case, as, as, as the place to go, how did that process? So um, we always, when we first started like IVF our own, as we were like, oh, no, we're never going abroad. Um, you know when you hear horror stories, but I don't know if people have a boob job, so their teeth done, and that's all I could think of. So I was like, no, we're not doing that. Um, and then after our three rounds in England, um, we just needed a fresh start. Yeah. and we didn't get the best patient care over here for obviously the amount we were paying and things like that. Um, and your IVF abroad, because um, I did try to look myself, I emailed probably about 30 clinics in Spain, Cyprus, Greece, um, inquiring. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know who, to, like, how do you know what's a good clinic abroad? How do you know what's not? I didn't know where to start. Um, and then there's a company called Draw IVF Abroad and they're based in England and it's a lady who's been through donor conception um, in Czech Republic herself. Um, but she's got an agency where she'll help you 
match you to the best clinic, basically. Um, so we worked with Emma and um, we told her exactly what our requirements were, what we wanted from a clinic. And then she told us what countries suit us best. Um, Lee's heritage is Jamaica. And we wanted to be able to know the heritage of our donor. Um, some countries like Spain and Czech Republic, they can't tell you oh. um, where they, what their heritage is. And um, so they can say, like, if you have treatments in Spain, Greece, et cetera, 90% or 99% chance they're going to be Greek or Spanish. Mm. But they couldn't tell us. And we that was something that was important to us. Yeah. Um, so that was why we ended up going to Greece out of Spain um, as well. And I'd actually lived and worked in Greece before. Um, so I just felt it was a bit of a connection, like... Um, with being there so um yeah so Emma narrowed it down to what country for us from on our needs and what we wanted um and then we um then she sorry then she narrowed it down to three clinics in that country what she feels would be best suited to us um we had a consultation with all three clinics um just again one good thing about abroad the consultations are free um so um so obviously you can have as many as you want with as many clinics <laughs> you want to have them with if you're not paying so that was nice we had three um consultations and we ended up going with new life it um and yeah for us it was just their approach their professionalism their patient care and everything we got from them obviously everything was done by obviously zoom but it was just our approach everything. we just felt most comfortable with them and their matching process and how they went about everything was a lot more advanced and a lot more personal. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that was in November. And then we were due to fly out in January. Um, but our flights were cancelled because of COVID and everything. So we did end up going in February. Um, and luckily, we could fly because it was a medical exemption. Um, so... Luckily, we were allowed to fly because of that. And my GP, to be fair, was very good. They did write us a letter just in case anyone did stop us at the borders. And the clinic had as well. Um, so basically, the clinic liked to meet you before they match you to a donor and things um, where possible, just so they can get a feel for you, who you are, what you're about, things like that. And that was another thing we liked about them because they know their donors I think, like, personally, they've met them. It's really special. Um, really special. Yeah, it's not like, um, for me personally, I didn't want, like, an egg bank or anything like that. I want someone where they can specifically match um, us and they know that person personally. Um, so, yeah, so we flew over in February. We literally went for three nights, I think it was. Um, it was in lockdown over there, so we couldn't leave the hotel unless we were going to the clinic. That was it. Um so, um, yeah, so we Lee gave his sperm sample at that visit. I had a three-dimensional scan, which, again, obviously, like, I've been through three rounds of IVF in the UK. I've never had a three-dimensional scan. Um, so it's a very advanced scan. Um, and it was just checking my uterus and things like that just to make sure everything was okay. Um, and then they sat with us for quite a long time just chatting, like, just in general, just having a good 
a chat and obviously it was just so they could get to know us but it was nice it was so personal it wasn't like a conveyor belt like right you've had your scan please done his deed out you get sort of thing they um yeah they spent time with us sitting and chatting to us so it was really nice um and then they start your process of looking for a, a donor for you and they do as well like to have the sperm before the donor starts treatment um and the reason being is obviously it helps with stress because you've not got to think oh my god like how about if I didn't get over there in time or and it's quite hard to time my treatment to get me ready for transfer with her egg collection and things like that um so it just made it a bit more well less stress really um of having especially obviously in times of covid obviously you don't know if your flights are going to get cancelled or anything like that um and obviously it's nice to meet them before you go through with anything and start treatment so yeah, so then they started obviously looking for a donor and they say it can take three to six months, but they had started looking for me before we'd gone out. Um, so I think they kind of had, I suppose, a few or one in mind. Yeah, so I had to, before we went out, so in November after our consultation, I had to fill in a form with all details about me. Um, so it was just my characteristics. Um, so like my eye colour, hair colour, my hair type, my body build, my weight. Um, yeah, anything that's non-identifying, basically. Um, my hobbies, my occupation, like those type of things. Um, and then I also had to send a photo of, like a portrait photo and then a four-length photo. And they also wanted a photo of Lee. And then I panicked and I was like, no, we're not having a sperm donor as well. And they were like, well, no, it's just so. For example, if they, the donor doesn't exactly match me, they can ensure that whatever part say doesn't match me, that it matches Lee. But so it fits in, the children fit into your family as much as possible. Um, so yeah, so actually the same for Lee as well, photo-wise. They didn't want all the written stuff, but just um, photo. Um, and then with your photos, they've put it into, like I said earlier, I'm like, not very technical, but they put your photo into some kind of computer system and it'll pull up donors that have the same like, features as you and things. That's amazing. Um, yeah. And then they, obviously, and then a human eye will look at it and then look at the details of that person if it matches. Um, so, yeah, so they're very... Um, they're very thorough and that's what I um, liked. And because they were personally matching you, I could ask more details. And I I did ask a lot of more details and some of them probably very petty, but I don't know. I was probably like, because Lee said to me, like, that's enough now. I'd stop asking <laughs> questions. Like, like it's fine. Um, because when we got home, they did send us, um, after the first visit, they, it was... They'd, like I said, they'd obviously started looking before because not long after we'd got home, we were still in isolation and um, they had sent the donors details through. And I remember Lee was in the showers and I, I ran up and said, oh, Lee, it's coming. He said, all right, I'll come down in a minute. I went downstairs and I stupidly opened it on me and I was crying my eyes out because it was just a weird thing. Like I'm reading someone who's meant to be me. Like it was the str strangest, surrealist thing. Um, and... You can say no to a donor as well if you don't think they meet your criteria. Um, but to us, we couldn't think of a reason why 
like you don't know much about them like you don't know them personally so like what what would we say know about we, we don't know her so um we know um so the details of her we know if she's got any children or not and she does have a child um so obviously technically in that sense that's a half sibling of our um children um yeah it was just her her job her hobbies her blood type things like that and so is there anything that's non-identifying um and then i just asked a few extra questions like is there any medical history from her family and they said not any known um is is like a mental health a her or her family experienced mental health problems and they said no and the thing with the mental health thing because obviously I had not long gone through it um I, I don't know if it's hereditary or not mental health but I just wanted to obviously look at all those aspects and then I just asked it about um a few physical features which things about and I probably don't matter at all um but like I don't know I just think I was overthinking everything you feel that you've you've done what you need to do before you say yes and you you know you can't you can't say yes and then regret not asking the question so so yeah you, you do that even if it is yeah it's nothing silly I don't think in, in this yeah and I think you do like then then you overthink things um but I asked what what are teeth are like um, <laughs> and um like what her figure was like because you know their weight and you know it says like medium build small build blah 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 but what does that mean and I've got like a curvyish figure so it's things like that and does that really matter probably not but it was just at the time that was what I wanted to ask so yeah so we accepted um this donor and so she must have started treatment in March and by April we had obviously all our embryos frozen um and then I started treatment in the beginning of May um to prepare me for obviously transfer mm-hmm. um so that just included obviously your scans to check my lining of my womb my intermediate lining and um I was on what was I on estrogen so that was done um, to, obviously your scans were done in the UK yeah yeah so I just went to a private scan clinic they would email me the results and then I'd email it to my clinic in Greece and then my consultant over there would look at it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I did, I've, because obviously I don't have high estrogen levels anyway, um, my lining just wasn't really getting as thick as they'd like it. Okay. And I think it got to, they told me to go for another scan and it only got to 6.5 um, millimetres and I think they like it about eight um get you ready for transfer but they said to me they were accepting it and I could go and I just went into panic mode I was like well no I'm not ready and but my morphology of my intermediate was like amazing so they were like we can't they were just like some people just can't get a thick line in because your eastern levels we may not be able to ever get there or we could make it really thick but it'd be a rubbish quality um so um yeah, so I was in a bit of a panic, but um they oh no, like I'm not ready. And it's only because you you just obviously go with what you see online, don't you? Like it needs to be this certain thickness. Um so yes, yeah, so it was six point point five millimeters and we um yeah, flew out. And I think it was a day after we flew out, I went for my transfer. 
And because we had pre-booked to go and we booked for 16 days because we didn't know when I'd be ready or when the transfer would be. So we ended up having the transfer and then having 16 days there, which was quite nice because we were there for the two-week wait when we were waiting, obviously, for the outcome. Um, But again, that was the weirdest experience because naturally I was looking at every single girl that walked past me. Like, is that our donor? Is that our donor? And I wouldn't have a clue, obviously, if it was or... or, um, wasn't um but yeah, it was nice because we could actually relax um obviously being away um and obviously enjoy time together like normally obviously we haven't ever had a transfer before but normally in just any treatment we've been through we're going to scans and appointments in between work course, yeah. um like most people yeah. do so you haven't got that time to try and relax and have quality time together so nine days after our transfer we went for a blood test at the clinic um, and our beta levels were quite high. Um, so they said it indicated that both had implanted. So sorry, we had two embryos transferred, I should have said. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we had two embryos transfers. We had convinced ourselves it wouldn't work, like with even because we were only ever used to bad news. So we thought it's yeah. not gonna it's not gonna work. If we transfer two, it would give us a bit of a higher chance maybe one out of two will implant um but obviously we're very blessed both had um implanted um so yes yeah, so we kind of knew from the first blood results nine days after transfer because it was so high and then when we went back 48 hours later because obviously they like it to double when we went back 48 hours later they had said no it would it over doubled and um they said no they both have more than likely implanted wow um, so yeah so we kind of knew from then that it was um twins but obviously like you know you still excuse me you still worry don't you because obviously that they're still precious time so early aren't they and of you're still so so worried so we went for a scan at six weeks um the clinic didn't want us to go to seven weeks um but it got to six weeks and um Lee had got home from work and I said I can't do this anymore let's just go and the, so we literally booked one and went within the hour and and the whole way there we were like what are we doing like because our clinic didn't want us to do it because they were saying that sometimes at six weeks you can't see the heartbeat so you only scare yourself if yeah. they've not developed to that stage as of yeah so the all the whole way there we were like what are we doing are we just setting ourselves up to traumatize ourselves um, but let you know what we just need to know. And if there isn't a heartbeat, we'll know it potentially could be this too early. Um, but we're very lucky there was two heartbeats and they um so we could see them from six weeks. Um and then we did have weekly scans then. Um just for obviously reassurance, peace of mind, um, up until 12 weeks. Um and even though we haven't had any complications physically throughout the the pregnancy, um, I don't think the anxiety ever goes away. Like I do, I st- I still am convincing myself that something's going to go wrong. I'm still convincing myself that like we're not going to be able to bring them home, and um, just I think it's just because when obviously you wait for something so long and fought so hard for it and we only ever used the bad news you're expecting that the worst to happen are you getting any mental health support now yeah to be fair my hospital have been amazing so i 
had my first, um, so I'm under the obstetrics wellbeing consultant, which is like a, um, a mental health consultant. Um, and she's been brilliant. Like I've got quite bad post-traumatic stress disorder from appointments. Um, and because of COVID and stuff, they don't like your partner or your husband, whoever to wait in the waiting room with you. They like them to wait outside the building. Um, but she's actually wrote me. Still happening. Still happening. Pardon? Still happening that the partners aren't allowed in. Yeah, they've got to wait. And then you've got, they've got to call them when it's time to go in for the actual appointment. Okay. Um, but which doesn't make sense because then when you're waiting for your next appointment you're all sat in the waiting room together anyway so it, it doesn't really make sense but that's what um no I suppose they want to be seen to be doing something don't they I suppose are they letting Lee stay with you in the waiting room yeah they um she's wrote a note yeah no she wrote a note to say partner allowed it all appointments um and at all times just to if I sat there on my own, I'd probably be overthinking and getting myself all worked up or thinking, oh my God, they're not going to get up in time for the appointment and they're going to tell me bad news and I'm going to be on my own. And it's just obviously worry when you don't need to. Um, and they also refer me to clinical psychology, um, which I had my first appointment this week. And the lady was absolutely lovely. And um, like one thing I find so hard um, about showing is being misunderstood. Like, people just not understanding especially like, it's my mum I was saying to the other day I was like because I'm pregnant and everyone just thinks I'm pregnant and that's it um which I don't want to be treated any different I don't want sympathy but donor conception isn't just a normal pregnancy there's a lot of other emotions with it um and but I mean, and obviously this lady hasn't been through it she doesn't understand in that sense but she was just so compassionate and like she made me feel like my feelings were valid and it's okay to feel how I feel and things like that. I just said to her like there's because she said what can we do to support you what support do you need and I just said like, I don't feel, feel I really need support now it's just people to understand like the thing that I find most triggering is dumb comments at appointments um especially um a lot of midwife appointments they don't look at the notes before they see you so I always get the same questions over and over again so it's like I've got to tell the story over and over again so I'm traumatizing myself by bringing up the past over and over again and telling the story um and it's like when we had our initial blood tests um I've got a blood um, condition called hemoglobin D trait which doesn't do anything doesn't affect me at all um, but you can pass it on, it just means you need a bit more oxygen, basically. Um, like if you're under anaesthetic or something. So like day to day, it doesn't affect you. But the midwife didn't tick the box to say it was donor. Um, and then I got a call by the genetic specialist midwife saying I needed to go in for a meeting. And I said, why? And she said, well, because you've got this, you could pass it on to the baby. I said, no, I can't. And she said, yeah, you can. I said, no, I can't. Like, we're not biologically related like I can't genetically pass anything on um so it's just like little things that you've got to keep so when they ask for support I was like it's just like people to actually read the notes before they see you so it avoids any triggering yeah. comments um but yeah no they have been like like I said clinical psychology have been really um great the consultants been really supportive and let support continue once the babies are here well i'm at high risk of postnatal depression because of obviously my history but also because of obviously menopause 
um, obviously my hormones are going to dramatically drop. So they've said they're um, going to obviously, because I've said to them, that's what I'm more worried about. I'm not really worried about it now. Like I can cope with now. I don't really have any irrational thoughts or any do anything impulsive or anything. Um, obviously I'm protecting the babies. Like I don't want anything to affect them at all. Um, but I just said after, obviously because people keep drilling into me, I'm at high risk of posting depression. I'm obviously that's all I'm focusing on because that's what they're telling me that the risk is. And I know with like, even if I didn't have mental health problems, I know with obviously the hormone levels of the menopause. Yeah. I am at high risk. I know that. And I know I need to go on HRT as soon as possible, but I do want to try to breastfeed because of the bonding. I want to, and I'm sure like, as many people who bond with obviously bottle feeding, I'm not saying obviously you can, but that's just what I've got in my head to help with that bonding because of the way we can see even things. That's what I want to try. And I can't go on HRT whilst um, breastfeeding. So, and obviously if things do get bad and I really need to go on it to help me function day to day, then obviously I will um, do that because obviously I need to be the best mum I can. Um, so I would obviously stop breastfeeding to be able to go on the tablets to, um, or patches or whatever I end up with um, to be able to do that. But yeah, so they're, they're saying they're going to. Um, so hopefully they do. Um, but, um, You've got a big support yeah. family as well, I think. Yeah, no, I am very, I'm very close to my parents. Obviously, Lee's amazing. So I'm, and Lee can actually take them off five weeks when okay. the babies arrive as well. Um, so yeah, so have a, a lot of support and um and like we say, we know our journey is only just beginning. Um, there's gonna be obviously a lot of emotions and as obviously the children get older, there'll be different questions and things we'll have to approach and deal with. And obviously, like I said, obviously our donor is unknown. Um, but we've always said that however possible we can, if our children do want to meet our donor, then we'll help them search for them through DNA testing or however we we can. Thank you, um, Tia, so much for talking to me and for sharing. No, thank you. It's been, it's been really incredible. Um, at the end of the podcast, I ask um, similar questions. So if you were to have coffee or gin or whatever with, um, uh, with another female, alive, dead, famous, who would that be and why? Um, so I was thinking about this and it would actually be my nan. Um, so my nan passed away just before our wedding and um, I was very close to her. She lived with us as a family um, since I was 15. Wow. Um, so 15 wow. years. Um, so a long time. So we're very, very close. Um, but she actually had the same condition as I have. Um, and But it was never obviously spoken about and she took she obviously started trying to conceive a lot younger than me um as obviously people did um back then um but she took five years to conceive my mum um so I just felt like she would because she would have obviously been struggling and in yeah. pain yeah. and suffering for five years and no one would have known about it because it wasn't obviously spoken about there wasn't tests or anything um then and then she did um she must have had one last little lucky egg in there that was my mum um my mum's the only child and then she went into the menopause straight after she had my mum um I just think it would just be nice to speak to someone who would understand um and that I'm so close to of course absolutely 
And considering your journey um, to this point, is there kind of one piece of advice that you would give to others or that you can share? Probably let yourself feel how you feel. Um, Because one thing I've done throughout is beat myself up. Like when I've gone to scans and stuff, especially at the beginning, I felt nothing. And I was beating myself up, like, why do I not feel nothing? And it's probably more because I was protecting myself because mm-hmm. I don't want, want to obviously feel something and then be even more heartbroken. Um, yeah, and there's just no right or wrong way to feel, especially when you're going through Jonah conception, you will have mixed emotions and allow yourself to feel how you're feeling and allow yourself to process those feelings. 100%. No, um, I just want to say that... Um, I read a, uh, a really good um, Lee's post today on your on your um, Instagram, and it was really good. Um, yeah, so everyone should go and and hunt that down once they've listened to this podcast, this episode. And uh, oh, thank you. Yeah, I think it, I think it is important to look at because a lot of people think, because, and I am guilty of this to begin with. When Lee was struggling with the whole donor conception thing, I thought he was selfish. Because I was like, well, no, it's me who's losing something, not you. Because you can have a biological child. Like, I can't. Like, you should be grateful. Um, I didn't actually see it from his point of view to begin with. It took me a a long time to process um, why he would feel the way he did. He was kind of grieving not being able to have a child with you. Um, Yeah. yeah, And that was really hard as well. And to... And a bit like what you've been talking about, that, you know, his sperm was going to get mixed with another female's eggs. And that was really hard for him to kind of process as well. Um, but I just yeah, no, definitely. Post, a really good, honest post. And it's so good to <laughs> bless him. male perspective as well. Um, so if people yeah. want to find you guys um, on social media, how can they do that? Um, so it's the Brian's Journey to Four. Amazing. Um, and thank you. So thank you again. Um, it's been really incredible talking to you. And no, thank you for having me. Sharing your story. Um, and good luck. Um, thank you. And we can't wait to hear the news. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Take care. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much to Tia for sharing the raw truth of her journey to motherhood. And I'm sure you'll join me in wishing her and Lee all the best for their exciting future ahead. For further support on the topics discussed today, you can take a look at the Instagram accounts at Defining Mum with Becky for donor conception information and the lovely Tessa's page at Mental Health Midwife for mental health guidance. As always, thank you for listening and I'll be back next week. Bye.